Amen. Take your copy of God's Word once more this day and turn with me, this time to the book of John. John chapter 15. John chapter 15. I want us to consider this evening the topic of gardening. John chapter 15. We'll read verses 1 through 8. Hear the word of the living God. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit, for without me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch and is withered. And they gather them and throw them into the fire and they are burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire and it shall be done for you. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit. So you will be my disciples. This is the word of the living God, and we say, thanks be to God. Amen. Please be seated. Let's pray together. Now, living Lord, we ask that you would help us, we your people. Feed us once more, we ask, from your word. Help us, we pray, in Jesus' name, amen. It's an interesting thing. Gardening occurs all across the globe. Gardening of plants, large-scale farms, vineyards. Vineyards are an interesting thing, really. And sometimes it's a challenge for us when we take certain techniques that we know of in the world and try to transplant them somewhere else in the world. If you were to go, for instance, to California, where there are vineyards abounding, you would see certain techniques to grow grapes, most oftenly to produce fine wine. But the kind of gardening and vine dressing that happens in a place like California is not the same kind of vine dressing that happens in the first century in the Middle East. Walk with me for just a moment before we look at our text. In the Middle Eastern vineyards, vines grow branches, but branches are not placed on a trellis. They grow all over the ground. They require a good and skillful vine dresser. One who is going to care for each branch coming off of the vineyard. One who is going to prune leaves off of a fruit-bearing branch so that it can produce more grapes. And in the first century, in the Middle East, with untrellised branches, a good vine dresser will also lift up branches that are on the ground that are not currently bearing fruit. 
Why this lesson in gardening? Well, you and I may or may not have experience with vineyards, but Jesus' disciples gathered around him shortly before he would go to the cross would have. They would have walked past vineyards everywhere, and the image of a vineyard would not have been lost on them. They would have had it in mind from what they saw around them, and they would have had it in mind from the Old Testament. Now, the overarching theme of our text is union with Christ and our abiding in him causing us to bear fruit. Boys and girls, Jesus says something of himself in this passage. He says, I am the true vine. Now, what's interesting is in the book of John, Jesus says many things about himself, beginning with the words, I am. I am the door. I am the good shepherd. I am the true vine. I am the way. And on and on it goes. Jesus uses this theme here, though, and he says to his disciples, I am the true vine. My father is the vine dresser. A vine dresser is like a gardener for vineyards. And then he calls you and me something. Branches. So just to make sure that we have this in view, Christ is the vine. We are the branches that grow off of the vine. And the living God, the father, is the vine dresser. Now, what's interesting is that this is not the first place in Scripture where vines and vineyards occur. Turn with me to the Old Testament, the Old Testament book of Psalms. Turn over to Psalm 80. There, the Old Covenant people of God are called something related to vineyards. Psalm 80, beginning in verse 8. The psalmist right before our verse says, Restore us, O God of hosts. Cause your face to shine and we shall be saved. You have brought a vine out of Egypt. You have cast out the nations and planted it, prepared room for it, caused it to take deep root, and it filled the land. The hills were covered with its shadow and the mighty cedars with its boughs. She sent out her boughs to the sea and her branches to the river. Why have you broken down her hedges? So that all who pass by the way pluck her fruit. The boar out of the woods uproots it, and the wild beasts of the field devour it. The vine of Psalm 80 is Israel. Now, Jesus, doing what he often does in the New Testament, picks up on the Old Testament and he says, essentially, there is a new vine. I am the vine. I am the true vine. Jesus is the new Israel. And we are the people of God in him. So Jesus, borrowing from images all around as he teaches, as well as from the Old Testament, tells his disciples, I am the true vine. But then he says something else. Actually, he says it 15 times in verses 1 through 10, and that is the phrase, abide in me. 15 times from John 15, 1 through 10, Jesus says, abide in me. What does it mean to abide in the vine? Well, it means that you are united to him and that you have a vital expression of that union with him, namely, fellowship with him, fellowship with Christ in his word. You're united to him by his spirit. 
and you have fellowship with him. Notice what he says. I am the true vine. My father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Verse 4, abide in me and I in you. Abiding in the vine seems to be a very important focus for Christ. But what does it mean to bear fruit? What does it mean to bear fruit? When you hear that off the lips of Christ in John 15, what do you think? Most of us, if we're honest, think good works. To bear fruit means I do good works. But actually, if you trace that word, that's only one of several descriptions of fruit in the New Testament. The fruit of the New Testament, firstly, it seems, is internal fruit. Like Galatians 5.22, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. But there's another kind of internal fruit, at least that's where it begins, that the New Testament speaks of. Romans 6, verse 22, hear these words. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. What fruit did you have then in the things of which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. But now, having been set free from sin and having become slaves of God, you have your fruit to holiness. And the end, everlasting life. Ephesians 5.9 also says that walking in the light is fruit. You see, we live in a day when so many believers read this passage and they think, firstly, fruit. I've, I've got to abide in the vine and if I abide in Christ, I will do all kinds of wonderful things. Good works. But actually, good works outwardly follow upon the internal fruit that the Spirit of God is working in you. The fruit of the Spirit. Holiness. Walking in the light versus in the darkness. Now there is external fruit as well. Colossians chapter 1 verse 10. For this reason also since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all wisdom and spiritual understanding that you may walk worthy of the Lord fully pleasing him, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. So there is fruit that we have. Good works. But beloved, when Jesus says, abide in me, have enriched fellowship with me because of your union with me and you will bear much fruit, don't think if I abide in Christ, I will do lots of good things and stop there. Actually, think to yourself, without Christ, I can do nothing. But abiding in Christ, the true vine, I will bear fruit. And that fruit will be love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. It will be holiness. It will be walking in the light. And oh, by the way, it will be good works. Now, why the extended 
introduction as we talk about vine dressing and gardening this evening. Notice Jesus' words in verse 4, Abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit, fruit of the Spirit, holiness, walking in the light, good works, unless it abides in the vine. But look at verse 8. By this is my Father glorified, that you bear much fruit. The living God is settled on his people bearing fruit. So let's talk about Jesus' lesson in gardening this evening as we consider it. The first thing that we see in our text is that we, Christ's people, are tended to by the Father. Tended to by the Father. And I think it's okay here, along with most scholars down through the ages, to remember that even though we have one God who exists eternally as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we ought not to think that the members of the Trinity are doing separate things and then eventually coming to the table like a boardroom. No, when we see words like the Father, we don't need to think, well, that means the Son is not doing it at all. (laughs) That means the Spirit is not doing it at all. No, Jesus Christ, the God-man, the Redeemer, is saying as the second Adam... The living God is the vine dresser. We are tended to by the living God. How does he tend to us? Here a lesson in gardening is necessary. Look at verse 2. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. How many of us have grown up in church most of our lives hearing verse 2 of chapter 15 and walking away with the assumption that if we do not bear fruit, we will be cut away? There are a variety of implications to this text, several which we'll mention but that we can put down immediately. Maybe this is saying, number one, that a person can be in Christ. After all, that's what he says, every branch in me We can be in Christ, and then we can lose our salvation. Well, of course, that doesn't accord with the rest of Scripture, does it? We know that a person who is in Christ will always be in Christ. Another possibility. Maybe what Jesus has in mind here is a picture of the church. Old Testament Israel, New Testament church. There are people who are a part of that band, but who aren't really saved. But then we'd have to wrestle with what he means by a branch in me that's not really in me. Or, we could look at the words themselves. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. What does he do with branches in him that seem to be united to him that do not bear fruit? He takes away. Now, if you have the New King James Version, it provides a footnote for you. Nothing to do with Greek language here. It just gives you a footnote, and it shows you that this phrase has to be translated into other languages. And like our language to other languages, there are a variety of ways to translate something. How do you do it? 
Well, here that footnote reminds you that it could be translated takes away or it could be translated lifts up. Now, this is interesting. We know a person who's in Christ cannot lose their salvation. Is Jesus' word here for us predominantly, hey, bear fruit or you will prove not to be my disciple and you will be cut off? Or is Jesus' focus here, the vine dresser, the living God, is absolutely bent on you bearing fruit and he cares for you wherever you are. If you are in Christ, he will see to it that you bear fruit. Let's look at this translation. Most modern translations translate it as takes away or cuts away. But again, you could equally translate it lifts up. Jesus has already said that the branches in question are branches that are in him. This seems to be branches that are united to him. In verse 5, the context says who Jesus is immediately speaking to. Judas is already gone. I am the vine, you are the branches. He gives us, it seems, who his immediate hearers are. And verse 6 already says what God will do to those who are not truly united to Christ. For this, we need to look again at gardening. Middle Eastern vineyards in the first century were not like those in our country. You didn't take branches and cut them and fashion them in a trellis. In the Middle East in the first century, vines were left to grow on the ground. And branches would extend from them. But as those branches grew, they would come into contact with soil and dirt. Perhaps people would trample on them. And other things would affect the branches. And so a Middle Eastern vine dresser in the first century often would take up those branches. He would lift them up, sometimes placing a rock under them or a set of them so that they would be lifted up, have greater access to the sun, and what would they do? Begin to bear fruit again. Is Jesus saying in verse 2 that there are people in the church who are not really Christians and so they will eventually be cut off? Or is Jesus saying that every branch in him, present tense, that currently is not bearing fruit, the vine dresser lifts up, assists, cares in such a way that they begin to bear fruit again. Branches that are currently not bearing fruit are lifted up that they may grow in fruit again. What might this mean? Joel Beakey and Michael Barrett, in their book, A Radical Comprehensive Call to Holiness, write this, quote, On the surface, this sounds like a contradictory statement. If the branch is in Christ, how can the branch be taken away? Let me here interject one of the key principles of interpretation. A verse cannot mean what it cannot mean. Christ is unmistakably referring to a branch in him, a genuine believer, The crux of meaning lies in the verb translated taketh away. The primary meaning of which is to raise or to lift up. 
This explains the image. Some branches the father lifts up. He carefully raises the branch that has fallen to expose it to more advantageously the light of grace that it may grow. What a beautiful statement this is. End quote. If you were to continue to study this, you would see that A.W. Pink, James Montgomery Boyce, also share the view that this would be better translated by the, the other phrase that this word could mean. Hey, every branch in me that does not bear fruit, the Father, the precious and good and skillful vine dresser, he lifts up. Because his goal, as verse 18 says, is to bring glory to his name that every branch bear fruit. Now look at the next verse, or phrase of verse 2. In every branch that bears fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Some branches in him, currently, present tense, are not bearing fruit. The gardener would then lift it up, causing it to grow fruit. Other branches are growing fruit, so he prunes it, that it may bear more fruit. The text continues, you are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. Now, in his discussion of this text, A.W. Pink speaks to the second part of verse 2. Every branch that bears fruit he prunes. This one too could be translated in several ways. The word prunes could also be translated cleans. (laughs) Here's what Pink says. It would be better rendered cleans or cleanseth as it is in the next verse. It may strike some of us as rather incongruous to speak of cleansing or cleaning a branch of a vine. It would not be so if we were familiar with the Palestinian vineyards. The reference is to washing off the deposits of insects and moss and other parasites which infest the plant. Now, the water which the husbandman or vine dresser uses in clean, cleansing the branches is the word, as John 15.3 tells us. The thought then is the removal of the, by, by the word of what would obstruct the flow of the life and fatness of the vine through the branches. Now, beloved, whether we take this second half of verse 2 to be prunes or cleans, in either case, the vine dresser has the same goal, more fruit. I would submit to you, brothers and sisters, that when the living Christ said, I am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser, it is equally, if not potentially more likely, in his next phrase, when he says, every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, he means lifts up. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes or washes that it may bear more fruit. I believe, brothers and sisters, that Christ was telling his disciples, the living God will cause you in union with me to bear fruit. And when you don't bear fruit, he will lift you up. He will cause you carefully as that vine dresser would To bear fruit again. Fruits of holiness. Fruits of the Spirit. Fruits of walking in the light. And fruits of good works. Now why labor on this? Well, brothers and sisters, 
Verse 2 helps us to see that as branches in Christ, the Father tends to us with the goal of bearing fruit for his glory. Verse 8. How is God working in your life to cause you to bear fruit in this season? And could it be that what you, for many years of your Christian life, have interpreted as a threat, as a warning passage, and there are warning passages in the Scriptures, what you may have interpreted, what I may have interpreted as, if I don't bear fruit, it means I'm not a Christian, I will be cut away. What if Jesus is actually giving us calm counsel? Every branch in me, united to me, that is not currently bearing fruit, the Father, like that Middle Eastern vine dresser, will lift up. He will dust off. He will wipe away the grime. And united with me, for you can do nothing. If you do not abide in me, that life-giving flow of the word again will cause fruit to grow in your lives. You ever feel like you're a barren branch? You ever feel like there are days where you've gone down in holiness? Weeks, months? You ever feel like there are times where everyone around you seems to have the fruit of the Spirit, but you don't seem to have one lick of it? Do you ever feel like you've had a season in your Christian life where you're just attracted to the darkness and walking in it? What if the living Christ is gently saying to you, his true disciple, in union with him, the Father will do whatever it takes as you are a branch in the vine to cause fruit to grow again in your life. He will lift you up. And when you bear fruit, he will clean or prune you so that you bear more fruit. Jesus continues, you are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Again, contextually, it would seem strange. Jesus is declaring who he's speaking to, says they're in union with him. You're clean because of the word. Abide in me. Rest in me. Be dependent on me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. The second thing then we see is that in Jesus' economy of vine dressing, we are dependent on Christ. We saw firstly that we are tended to by the Father. And secondly, that we are dependent on Christ. John Gill, in his commentary on this passage, writes this, quote, The former of these is an exhortation to continue in the exercise of faith and love upon Christ, holding to him the head, cleaving to him with full purpose of heart, and so deriving life, grace, strength, and nourishment from him. The latter is a promise encouraging to the former, for as Christ is formed in the hearts of his people, he continues there as the living principle of all grace. Abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit, for without me you can do nothing. This whole task of being a vineyard of glorious grapes for the king is a task in which we are dependent on Christ. Our union with him 
is the source of our fruit. We then are tended to by the Father and we are dependent on Christ. But Jesus gives us two other quick lessons, at least in this text. Notice what he says in verse 6. If anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch and is withered. And they gather them and throw them into the fire and they are burned. Here we have discussion of one who is not in Christ. So there is a warning in this text indeed. But I would submit to you that here is the place where Christ says, there are going to be people who are not in me. And using the imagery of the vineyard, of gardening in the first century, he tells them what will happen. They will be thrown into the fire. Are you in Christ? Are you united to him? The scripture teaches us that a person that is a Christian has been united to Christ, Romans chapter 6. That you, by the Spirit, through faith, have become united to Him. You are not Him, but you are united to Him. You are married to Him. You are stuck together with Him. That is union with Christ. And that's a precious doctrine. Because union with Christ means that where He goes, you go. So His death on the cross was your death. His resurrection from the grave is your resurrection from the grave. His ascension to the right hand of the majesty on high, Ephesians chapter 1, is your ascension. His defeat of sin and its dominion over humanity in him is yours. You are united to Christ. Well, what is Jesus teaching us thirdly then in verse 6? Well, that we have a future hope. We're free from judgment. We are in him So we are not these withered branches, not in the vine that will be thrown in the fire. But this ought to cause us to shudder, for there will be, there will be those thrown into the fire. We would do well to consider the end of those who are outside of Christ. We would do well to remember that when we see them pridefully dancing in the streets, celebrating abominations, that their end is coming, and it ought to cause us to shudder, to shudder with a zeal for the living God, but also for a love for their souls. This is not one who simply will be stamped out in the last day. This is one who outside of Christ will be thrown into the fire of judgment. As would we if we were not in Christ. Jesus teaches us here that we have a future hope. One that is free from judgment. But then notice what else he says using the word abide again. Verse 7. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire and it shall be done for you. A fourth lesson is that we live in continual fellowship and access to God. Notice one of the sweet realities of union with Christ, of abiding in the vine, is not simply that we bear fruit, as glorious as that is, but that we have the ability to come to God Relationally, we have access to God in prayer. 
If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire and it shall be done for you. Now, taking this passage with the rest of Scripture, which is important for us to do, Jesus is not saying here, whatever desire you have, on a whim, however sinful, whatever it is, however self-centered, he'll give it to you. Notice what he says first. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire, and it shall be done for you. Brothers and sisters, I would encourage you to consider this passage in this way. As you abide in me, my words will abide in you, and because my words will abide in you, you will pray and ask according to my word, and it shall be done for you. We have continual fellowship with God. Verse 8 gives us the theme, By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, so you will be my disciples. Abiding in Christ means that we are tended to by the Father. It means that we are completely dependent on Christ. It means that we have a future hope and we have continual, ongoing access to the living God. Walk with me through the vineyard in the first century and see there the fact that oftentimes vines were not neat and tidy that their branches flowed everywhere across the ground and that there were branches in the vine that were bearing much fruit. But then there were also branches that didn't seem to have fruit. Perhaps they had fruit at one time, but the grapes had been withered. And now they're in the vine, but, but the fruit is not there. And then watch the skillful vine dresser. Perhaps he's been at his task for 40, 50, 60 years. He walks over and he picks up one of the branches that's bearing much fruit and he prunes or cleans it. He does his work so that that branch may bear even more fruit. And then he looks over and there is a branch connected to the vine that's not bearing fruit. The the grapes have become withered. It's been trampled on the ground. There's, There's even dirt, perhaps disease growing on it. And he takes a rock, a big stone, and he lifts up that branch off the ground. He puts that rock underneath it. He sets that branch right down on that rock. And in a few weeks... There's fruit. I would submit to you that it is, is indeed equally as likely that this is what our precious Savior is telling us. Not only, as verse 6 says, that there is a judgment to come for those who are not in Christ, but potentially more than that. That in days when the fruit of the Spirit is waxing and waning in your life, in days when you seem to be pressing in against the way of holiness that our precious Father who is glorified when you bear fruit tenderly lifts you up 
as the Greek word so often means. He lifts you up and causes you once again to bear fruit. Jesus takes us to the vineyard to remind us to abide in him, to warn us that there will be those who don't abide in him, but to also teach us that we don't bear fruit on our own. All that we do is show off our union with Christ through glorious fruit, which the Father actually cultivates in us. What a blessed reality. As you consider this text over the days ahead, remember this lesson of gardening that Jesus gives us. And consider that even when you don't see the fruit in your life that you want to see, there is a vine dresser who will work in you that you may bear fruit. Let's pray. Living God, we ask that you would help us to consider the weight of this text, both the comfort of it that our vine dresser is working that we may bear fruit, as well as the warning that there will be those who never were in the vine to begin with. Help us, we ask. Make fruit of even this word in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.